What does it take to create something that never existed before? What does it take to challenge the status quo? What does it take to change the world? This is the Swell Podcast. We're passionate about the seed of an idea and how it swells into a movement. Take a journey with us as we seek the answers to those three questions through the stories of thought leaders, world builders, game changers, disruptors, and other pleasantly rebellious humans who've ventured out into the unknown on a personal journey to do something novel, innovative, creative, or disruptive. In today's episode, we chat with Matthew Levitt, the CEO at PathNet Labs. We kick everything off with a discussion about the movie Rocky, and then ultimately dive pretty deep into his personal journey and story through the field of pathology, and now into his new venture and attempt to digitally disrupt that field through PathNet Labs. And then, yes, we come back around to tie it all together through, again, Rocky. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all of the major socials at theswellpod. Our first season is made in partnership with Kiln. Kiln provides flex office space solutions for teams and individuals. Their all-inclusive set of amenities helps startups, creatives, and entrepreneurs alike get work done. Learn more about Kiln at kiln.co. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the Swell Podcast, Matt Levitt. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, it's a pleasure to to meet you, Josh, and and uh, Spencer. You and I go back a long way, so it's uh, it's fun to hear about what you're doing. Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, I've, in fact, I must have told Josh a, quite a lot about you over the years, um, especially when we started working together. Uh, many like four or five years ago, and I think you were already on your your journey uh, with with what you're doing, um, and we, we'll get into that in a moment. But you know, we yeah, we're excited to hear your vision um, of and how you found it. Um, and I think that would be the what did, Josh, do you, do you think that'd be the first key question? Just tell us about this journey and how it began. Yeah, yeah. Well, well first, let me just say, uh, Josh, if you ever have any problems with Spencer, I've got lots of good dirt on him, so. Uh, you know, just, just come to me and I can, I can help you out there. The problem is, is he, he has lots of dirt on me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I can't use the dirt on you. Like, yeah, definitely (laughs) send me what you have, (laughs) but yeah, no, that sounds good. Well, um, sorry. I, I couldn't resist Spencer. <laughs> well, well, hold, on. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Cause I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't remember. Um, so how, how do you guys know each other? Just take me back. Like where, where did you go? You know? Yeah. Where did you guys meet and how do you, how do you guys know each other? <laughs> we were crazy teenagers together and, and young teenagers, tweeners really uh, in, in Leeds, England. Uh, okay. My father's work was there for, and I lived there for three years. And by the time I left, I sounded maybe a little more like Spencer than I do to, uh, like, like myself today in terms of accent, but uh, that's that's been many years ago now. So, but uh, we 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 spent some great times together um, in Leeds, England, and and uh, some, some fun nights camping in places we probably shouldn't have been camping in. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe who knows? Maybe I'll share some stories. It, We'll, we'll see. But, you know, I remember, you know, I don't know. I, I just think, yeah, I'm sure you didn't know what you were going to do um, 
you know, in your in your career and what where you're going to go with this vision, right? You didn't <laughs> we didn't talk about that when we were 11 or 12 no. or 13. We got <laughs> excited about things. I remember watching uh, that rocky movie uh and oh, yeah. uh, in the in the 80s and, and getting so excited about it and like again, out and pu- punching get, things and, and exercising yeah, pu- afterwards yeah unfortunately <laughs> punching things and, and damaging grand pianos and things but the you know somehow that translated into you being pretty excited uh about i don't know this the, the vision that you're working on now um and you know, there, there we go. There's my connection. <laughs> it's, it's not quite the Wait same, but um, something a bit Wait. more meaningful, maybe. You just connected Rocky and punching things to pathology. Is that, did I get that right? Or <laughs> Well, you know, the connection is uh, to, to leave a very stable job and try to go out and do what we're doing uh, yeah. does take a certain amount of aggressiveness and, or assertiveness. Uh, aggressive is maybe not the right word, but uh uh, yeah, if, if you're if you're somebody who wants just to uh, uh, you know maintain stability and you're worried about change, uh, you wouldn't do um, you wouldn't do what we tried to do. And you know, actually, okay, there is a parallel, and maybe we're stretching here, but you know, Rocky is the story of a of a uh, you know no nobody from the streets of Philadelphia who takes on the world champion, and uh, really uh, what this story is is uh, an unknown pathologist from a small town in southern Utah trying to trying to um, disrupt a whole field of medicine, which sounds really crazy. Um, but uh, so, in some ways, uh, um, you know, th- this is uh, that uh, we, we certainly haven't achieved it yet, and so whether. Uh, whether we get punched out by Apollo Creed and lose or, or whether we, uh, um, you know, pull off something uh, remarkable is, is yet to be seen, but, but we are trying. So there is, there is an interesting, uh, uh, you know, rocky uh, <laughs> correlate there, but. Who would have known, eh? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Real quick, Matt, can we just have you shift a little bit to to your left? Um, I think oh, yeah. left. Yeah, just to you just want to be able to see it. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying frame. to speak into the microphone, which maybe I can move the microphone over a little bit here too. Uh, there we go. That's that perfect. Way I can, yeah. Okay. So we're definitely going to want to find out like what what's taking place on on your rocky journey, right? And, <laughs> and you know, what's your moment of like running up this running up the 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 staircase and you know lifting your hands up in the air. Like I want to know what that moment is for you or if you've had it yet. But like I think I think it's a perfect time to then go back into the vision. Like what is this what is your story about? Like what what are you what are you on a mission to do out in the world? Yeah. Um so so I'm a, I'm a physician first. Uh, the, you know, why I do this is I care about patients. I want to uh, improve their, their lives. Um, and, and that really is, uh, is the basis of why I do this. Uh, my specialty is in a surgical and hematologic pathology. And most people don't know what pathology is. They think of autopsies and those kinds of things. But pathology is really the foundation for um, for a lot of our our 
um, diagnostics without pathology, without the laboratory, so many of the coming revolution in, in medicine, the molecular revolution, the uh, introduction of artificial intelligence into medicine, it, it couldn't happen outside of the practice of pathology. And, and um, so I was practicing at a large, um, in, in a large medical system here in Utah. I was the I was the department chair uh, in, the, in the laboratory of a, of a large um, regional hospital. And I had this vision of uh, that, that this whole field could be um, transformed if it was done digitally. And if we could utilize the power of, of computation um, and, and, you know, that, that, that actually probably started way before I became a doctor, actually. Uh, but, um, but I could see, um, you know, 10 years or so ago, I could see a path that could, could, could transform this field. And about seven years ago, I stepped away from a really good job uh, and the security of that job to start a new type of practice, a digital practice. And, and that was really the, the beginning of this odyssey. Yeah, that's, re that's, that's, that's really interesting. And it seems like a big area. And I'll, I'll, I'll be completely honest, before we, we knew, or when we knew we were gonna you know, interview you, I had to look up pathology. Like I, was, I wasn't totally sure <laughs> yeah. what it was, you know? And, and I was like, we're the guys well, in the basement of the hospital, um, and and we're we're really the consultants to the other physicians. So if you have a, a lab test uh, drawn by by your doctor, or you have a biopsy taken, uh, it's sent off to the pathologists to analyze that, and and then the answer doesn't come to the patient directly from the pathologist. The answer comes uh, from their doctor, but the doctor gets that information from the pathologist. So, and that's kind of important to recognize that. There's a reason why most people, when most pathologists choose this profession, uh, it, it doesn't usually attract the extroverts. <laughs> it usually attracts the people that are happy being alone in the basement uh, of a hospital and and they, they, they like to do their work. It's a very diligent, I love, the culture of pathology, but it tends to be a more introverted, quiet, uh, very conservative group of people. And that's actually important to this story because we're trying to drive revolutionary change mm. amidst a group of people who uh, really um, sometimes are a bit change averse. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that is interesting. And, and it's in, I guess I, I started to get really personally connected when I did start looking into pathology and, and really understanding more and more about what it was because I then realized, well, because my wife just recently got a biopsy. Um, mm -hmm. My mom got a biopsy. She's actually, because of that, what they found in the biopsy, uh, which they found out she had skin cancer and she's actually in surgery today, which is really interesting. And 
and so all of a sudden I got, I became very interested in like the, the, what the actual experience has been for my wife and, and for my mom, as it relates to understanding what's actually going on in their body um, and happening to them as a result of whatever virus or, or infection or whatever it is that, that, that that's getting to them. And I guess what, to bring it back around to you is, you know, even before you had this, this idea of this digital transformation for pathology, you know, what, what was it that that sparked that desire to go off and and do that? Like you noticed that there was a there was an opportunity for that, but I guess just help me take me back to that moment when when it really hit you that this is there there is a real opportunity here. Well, let me uh, answer that by relating it to your mother's journey, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, I think it makes it easier. Uh, she had a skin biopsy. There was maybe some kind of lesion or a mass there that, that drew her attention. And when that was taken out uh, through a biopsy, uh, a pathologist analyzed that and determined that the correct treatment for that was surgery. And so here she is today having surgery because of that decision. Uh, most of the world population has access to people who can provide treatment. They have access to some kind of treatment. They have access to surgeons who can cut things out. They have access to uh, people who can provide medical therapy or even, you know, some you know, indigenous uh, herbal therapies. There's, there's people who can provide those therapies almost everywhere. Where there is a shortage in the world's medical care, uh, a massive shortage is in good diagnostics. And uh, so let's say a, 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 a someone else's mother in, uh, in a developing country has a mass uh, that, uh, but without the ability to do a biopsy, uh, they would, people would make their best guess. We think that this mass needs to be cut out. What if it turns out that mass was not what it was in your mother's case, but maybe it was um, uh, a, you know, a bug bite Mm. uh, and and the patient actually needed some kind of uh, therapy uh, to, uh, for the poison. Uh, or maybe it's a lymphoma, and and instead of having it cut out, which would only lead to it popping up in many other places, uh, it needed uh, uh, a medical oncologist, somebody who could give chemotherapy. Without the the guidance of um, of the pathologist, uh, the people treating these illnesses are uh, driving blind not completely blind. There's other things besides pathology that help them to make decisions, but there, it's really a critically, sorry, a critically missing element. And I would say for maybe half of the human family, they don't have access. There are some countries where there's only one or two pathologists in the whole country. So there's a huge global shortage in good diagnostic care. And my awareness of that is really uh, and the ability for, um, if you could digitize those, um, those biopsies, 
a world expert could look at them anywhere. You know, if you had a way to, to um, take an image of that, send it with your cell phone to, um, to a pathologist, you could have a world expert looking at a patient's, a, you know, a patient's biopsy in you know, sub-Saharan Africa and, uh, and, and provide that critical intelligence, the diagnostic intelligence that is needed to be able to make the right decision uh, for that patient. Um, right now, we depend on that physical glass getting to the right person. And so you can see if you could convert that physical piece of glass with that patient's biopsy specimen on it into a digital image that can instantly be anywhere in the world, uh, that can transform medical care for much of the human population. That, that, is, that concept, the ability to be able to provide what I was doing for people in my hospital in Utah to people anywhere in the world, that is what drove this, you know, the, the, the concept of being able to, to do that. It's totally possible, uh, but um, over the course of the last few years, uh, I've learned what the challenges are to actually making it happen. Yeah, that's powerful. That's very powerful. And so, yeah, I, I would love for you to take us on that journey. I, I would, I know Spencer and I are both super interested in understanding what challenges you faced and you had this, you had this idea, this, and, and, and to me, you know, it that 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 powerful message resonates so strongly because we're all trying to understand what's happening in our bodies at any given point in time. And and I love I love you know that analogy that that you're, or you're you're not even analogy, but you're just giving the intelligence. You're 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 providing a light on this thing that that I think everybody deeply wants and needs it as at a critical time. You know, when they're potentially going through some very very scary changes, right? And yeah, and yeah, I think really the intelligence important. analogy, if you think about um, if you think about uh, the Gulf War, for, uh, you know, when, when we went into, when the United States uh, invaded Iraq, it was based on bad intelligence. Mm -hmm. And we started a war and thousands and thousands of people died. A, a, a whole region was disrupted. Um, not because we didn't have the capability to, to act on it, but we acted on the wrong thing. Mm. Same thing happens every day in, in, in the medical system uh, where physicians with good intent, with all the skills necessary to treat any illness, go in and, and end up hurting patients uh, because the intelligence they had about that patient was either incorrect or incomplete. Yeah. And that it, it really is this sort of hidden but critical part of our medical care that very few people uh, understand. The surgeons understand it. The medical oncologists understand it. You know, the physicians understand the, the critical nature of good lab medicine. But most patients uh, uh, are, don't see it as much. We, we've gotten a taste of it in this COVID uh, era, uh, the critical element of, of testing. The thing that's missing is we haven't had good treatments. You know, uh, we can we can test to help us know how to how to manage our lives and the 
and the spread of the disease, which is important on a societal level. Uh, but it's a little bit different than an individual who's making a life-changing decision based on this intelligence. Um, and and that, that, is, that is what's uh, what's important. I'm sorry to keep harping on the importance of pathology, but um, I think understanding that uh, may help you understand what is the passion and the drive behind this. It really, for me, it's not about, and it never has been about making uh, a business. I had no desire to go into business. My family are great, my, and, and gratefully, my family is filled with really good business people. I had no desire to go into the family business. <laughs> I had no desire to be a businessman. I was maybe the rebel of the family and, um, and decided I wanted to go into medicine. And it's still how I feel. I don't really like the business elements, but I have learned how important understanding business is um, and how I can't just drive this with raw passion uh, and, and my desire to change the world. You can't do that without a good business model and without understanding uh, how this fits into a, um, you know, into a market, uh, you know, into, into, into the ecosystem, the market ecosystem of, of medicine, um, which I guess, that that's really a big part of this odyssey is my learning to appreciate that and 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 harness uh, the things that do drive change uh, to try to achieve uh, and drive change in the field. Yeah. Well, sorry. Go ahead, Spencer. No, I just love that. I just love the fact that it's you know you you had a really good life, a good career, but, and you didn't even want it to go into business, but there was something, the vision you saw, um, it really made a difference to, to, to going down this path. And you probably didn't know how hard it would be. And we, you, you know, we want you to talk about like what, what has happened? What did you produce? What challenges did you face so far in this, in this journey, but I wonder what it, the one thing that's in your mind though, that, that helped you make the decision to actually leave um, and start this, what was it? Was it the, the numbers of people that could be, you know, uh, impacted well, in, a, was, in a positive way? What, what was in your mind? Like, what was that moment when you made those decisions? Well, this, this had started, like I said, long before uh, I, you know, even when, even before I went to medical school, uh, you know, when, when, when I was in college, the internet was brand new. And this concept that we could, uh, that this idea that we could provide telemedicine, you know, or, so I remember I grew up in rural Southern Utah. My, my, I spent my summers working in a, in a town called Loa, Utah, and your listeners can look up and see where that is on the, on the map. Um, it, it is, in a county with about 2,000 people in the whole county. The county's probably the size of the state of Delaware. And there's 2,000 people in the whole county, mostly clustered in little towns of about 200 to 300 people. There's not a doctor, there, there was not a doctor in the whole county. Uh, and uh, and in, in a remote area like that, when the internet came alive, uh, it, it, uh, 
this concept that you could get it, you could actually have a doctor talking to a patient and, and looking at a, uh, at a patient's results uh, from you know, 100 miles away uh, was really exciting to me. And I actually wrote my medical school uh, um, essay, entrance essay, about my desire to uh, develop telemedicine. So this, this was a deeply rooted desire to try to provide the highest quality care to people living in remote places. That's, that's, so that's, this didn't start seven years ago. This started, uh, you know, 25 years ago. And, um, but the technology that enabled it uh, was coming to fruition, you know, around 2012, you know, the cloud was becoming, uh, you know, the infrastructure, and the, you know, the cost of storage and the things that precluded pathology from going digital were starting to be um, addressed by technological advances. Uh, meanwhile, uh, my confidence uh, as, a, uh, as a practicing physician was uh, also increasing. So it was a mixture of this deep, deeply rooted desire, which I've already talked about, with the technology uh, that made it possible. Uh, and then the confidence <laughs> to think I could actually do this. And I don't think somebody does something that drastic without an extreme amount of confidence. Now, looking back, I was completely naive. It was maybe crazy, actually, because I did. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, and and so, um, you know, it it it's. But but if I didn't have that crazy degree of confidence at the time, you wouldn't do it. If you didn't think that, if I didn't really honestly believe that I was going to be wildly successful in a year. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> but here we are seven years later and we've made a lot of progress, but uh, we still have a long way to go before, um, before this is, before you can call this a success. Yeah. There's a, there's a couple interesting themes that I'm, that I'm seeing that I would love to explore. I think one is of course, you know, for, for, for an audience that I think might find this, this, this relevant too is, is, so you mentioned the idea of timing, like, is it like just the right time because the technology has all kind of gotten to a point where it was just like all of those three things that you just talked about kind of converged. But I, and I'm also interested in, you know, this idea of, um, you know, you, you, you had this uh, specialty, this passion and this interest. And then on the flip side, there's the business side of things as well. Right. I think a lot of people probably deal with that same, that same struggle as well. It's like, how, well, how do you go through all of those challenges where you're trying to take that passion and that, that interest and merge it into the business and become, become these, this one person who can look at things in both, in both aspects. And, and I wonder if maybe what we can do is we can maybe explore that one, but just help us uh, understand your story from, I guess, that vision 
um, and, the, and the right timing and, and you've made this decision up until even right now, you know, kind of taking us through what, what did you create? What, you know, thinking about Lumea and, and, and taking us along that journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the way it started is, uh, I, what I, the business that I did think that I knew was the practice of pathology. I, I, you know, I had my own practice. Uh, we were contracted with the hospital, but we ran a business. Uh, and I thought that I knew that business. And so this whole thing began with, with a, a business model that we would just do what we're doing today, but instead of doing it, uh, instead of looking into a microscope, uh, we would just use the same tools, everything exactly the same, except we would do it on a computer screen. And we thought, let, let's, let's uh, put a, a digital imaging system, a, a slide scanner into a market that's really expensive for pathology. And that, in that, that instance, it was Southern California. The cost of a biopsy in Southern California is is a lot more like, you know, 50% higher than the cost of a biopsy in Utah, just because the cost of living, living is higher. Uh, and, and so our first thought was, let's just provide high quality outsourced pathology to Californians and California insurance companies. We'll do it for cheaper in Utah with this um, slide scanner. Um, and that was our first, so, so, so we, uh, we bought a $250,000 slide scanner. It was like taking out a mortgage, another mortgage. And, and, and we bought this whole, this, this slide scanner and put it into an independent lab down in, in Orange County and started to go door to door to doctor's offices saying, Hey, send your, send your, uh, your biopsies to us and, and we'll, uh, do it, you know, I'm, I'm Stanford trained, I'm, you know, you, you're going to get the highest quality, but we can do it for less money. And, 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 and we have these new tools that'll, you know, and it worked, we went out and we got, we got, you know, Southern California doctors to send their specimens to, to us. And we worked out the, uh, you know, we, we proved that we could, that we could look at, at the slides digitally and get the same results that we got looking at glass and a microscope and we validated that we were very careful in doing that and and uh the problem was we ran into two problems uh, one uh the insurance companies in california didn't really care we were small potatoes they didn't care about the fact that we could lower the cost for um 100 patients they were more concerned about covering the cost for millions of patients. That was sort of my first wake up call. Uh, we weren't relevant, we were too small. Uh, and the second, uh, the second thing was, it was really inefficient. We'd make this, the glass slides, we'd scan them there. Uh, and it was really, it took a lot of time to replicate what we were doing, looking at it on the computer uh, because, it, you know, we're, when you look at thousands of biopsies every week, uh, you get really fast doing things the way you've always done them in the microscope. And you just, you know, you can do it without even, 
you know, even thinking about it without being conscious. Whereas now you're working with a mouse on a computer, it's unfamiliar, and you're trying to teach yourself again how to practice. And uh, after doing it for a few months, we found ourselves just waiting for the glass to get to get shipped to us. <laughs> and and then we had to ask ourselves, why did we just spend a quarter of a million dollars uh, for an instrument that we're not even using? And and we realized that it's because we're trying to just do things the way we always did them. And the only difference is instead of looking through oculars, we're looking on a screen, uh, but, but it, it sort of opened our minds to, and there's nothing like having a, a quarter of a million dollar debt, you know, a piece of equipment sitting there doing nothing for you to say, how can I make this useful? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, my my colleague uh, who who went in on this with me, his name is Jared Samansky. Uh, Jared and I, over many lunches, started saying to ourselves, "Well, it's inefficient because uh, of this and that." And and before we knew it, we, we said, "Okay, if we want to make this efficient, we need to redesign the entire workflow of taking that wet piece of tissue and all the information about the patient." putting it into a digital uh, imaging, putting it into a digital database that is uh, where the image and the, and the information about the patient uh, and, the, and the information that the pathologist needs to convey about that uh, is all in the same system, all in the same database. And if we do that, we can actually create new efficiencies and 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 uh, and open new opportunities actually where you could we started to envision well you, then you could start to apply artificial intelligence to actually look at all these different uh, data points not just the image data but the data about the patient and the data uh, that the pathologist uh, is seeing and start to uh, really start to apply computational power but to do that the computer needs to be able to access all of that information and it has to be able to access that information in a standardized way. Um, and, and that the, this problem of having a very expensive scanner that was useless uh, and a need to be able to uh, analyze why is it not working today uh, enabled us to essentially reimagine the entire process of making a slide and making a diagnosis and how and 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 so we created what what is now Lumea's uh, main product, which is uh, Biopsy Link, uh, which is uh, an information it's a specimen information system, uh, diagnostic information system really that integrates lots of different types of data with that image uh, all into one place. And that, that uh, concept um, led me to uh, call uh, an automation engineer. We thought we have to automate a lot of these processes. If we're going to standardize them, let's stop having a human do all these manual processes and let's see if we can automate them so that we can do it exactly the same way every time. So I, I have a, my wife's uncle, uh, Mark Evans, uh, is, a, is a very 
gifted automation engineer. And he was a professor down the road at BYU. I called him and, uh, and said, hey, I've got this idea. I, to, we, we'd like to automate these processes. Could we talk about it? And so I went over to his house and told him the idea. And, and we started working um, kind of nights and weekends on this, on this concept. And, and, you know, within a month or two, and we literally built it, the first, the first um, renditions of this were built with like cookie sheets and erector sets and digital cameras mounted. Uh, and, um, and uh, we, there was, an, there was another lab technician uh, at, Inter, at Intermountain where I worked uh, named Derek Mann, who actually built these first these, this first rendition that we had designed. And um, so Mark Evans and I uh, you know, tested this concept of this automated specimen processing system uh, and, and then came up with this new business model that if we could produce these slides for less money, um, I, I don't wanna get into the specifics of the business model because it's a really complicated business that your listeners don't really want to hear about probably, but we we realized that there was probably a business here that could that could, uh, and and so we actually went down to Southern California to some of the clinics where we had been uh, doing those early biopsies and tested the concept with them. You know, if we were to do this, would you, you know, would you um, send your specimens uh, there? And they said absolutely. So based on that. Uh, Mark Evans left his day job, <laughs> and and I went and I I, I, I um, uh, took out a loan uh, to be able to pay Mark. I continued with my day job for a little while, and then realized, you know, this isn't going to go unless we both are doing this full time. Uh, and so I let my practice know that I was going to be leaving, and and I left my day job. And it was, and, and it was just the two of us just scrambling as fast as we could. Uh, and, and, you know, and I think the, the loan that we took out initially was, was not very much. You know, we thought that we were gonna hit success and hit some profitability really fast. <laughs> and, um, and we contracted with a software engineer. Um, you know, our first decision was, do we wanna outsource this to another country or do we wanna uh, you know, put our eggs into the into a basket that'll be a little more expensive. Hiring a really good software engineer here—that uh, was one of the best things we ever did. Was actually choosing to to have our team be here because it turns out that you know when I started, um, I, I thought that between me and this PhD engineer. Um, that you know we could do everything. Turns out that this very creative software engineer, who had already started a couple of his own businesses, and I think he left college to to do that, but and and never went back. He's just brilliant. His name's Andy Ivy. Uh, um, he <laughs> he had as many, if not more, of the critical ideas than the physician or the, or the engineer. And, uh, and, and between the three of us, uh, we, we created this, this system. And, 
and, and, and operated, I think, for a year before we ran out of money completely. Uh, and it was not looking good. Um, and, um, and that's where uh, a, a critical uh, you know, sort of business life-saving um, <laughs> relief came from, from my family. Um, I, I've been talking a lot. Do you, do you, do you have any no, questions about this or I, I can, I can go on for a long time. It's great. I mean, so I'm sure Spencer, you probably have some questions, you know, I just want to ask a quick one, just because you did talk about automation and, and you talked about, um, um, yeah, and, and intelligence and, and I'm, I'm wondering, do you see, like, do you see a world where artificial intelligence can actually replace the, what what pathologists do and that it's all like the idea that you know it's all digitized and then artificial intelligence is then you know making faster decisions and and more and more accurate decisions or is that not possible because there's no, a human no, thing it's, um it's possible and the question is at what point are we going to turn that over completely to the machines yeah um i think you should think about um artificial intelligence in diagnostic medicine, very similarly to how we think about um, autonomous driving vehicles and um, autonomous flying airplanes, autopilot on airplanes. Um, there's no question that those advances are already helping keep drivers safe, keep passengers on airplanes safe uh, because humans make mistakes mm -hmm. uh and and machines you know, you know can be very good at constantly being vigilant and you can you can utilize the machines to to really help keep you safe um you know i suspect that 10 years from now will be the, the machine learning the machines will be good enough that we'll be trusting uh, a machine to drive us around um i i, I truly think that's not that far off um, how long will it be before we entrust a machine to make our cancer diagnosis to base a surgeon's decision on on doing some life-altering surgery uh, I, I just can't imagine uh, in completely entrusting a machine to to um, to do that I, I, I think that what will always, at least in my lifetime, I think, uh, have have a human that is behind that machine, um, just like we have a pilot. That's you know, even though autopilot is is doing most of the flying um, today, we're, you know, you, you you don't want to have a plane full of people that doesn't have the good judgment and experience of a pilot there in the cockpit. Uh, I think I think that's true here too. That said, artificial intelligence uh, is going to make our practice safer and more efficient and better, and we're already seeing that. And um, and, and so, you know, that that that's kind of skipping ahead in this journey, um, but that is a critical element uh, to this transformation. Um, because you can't utilize artificial intelligence unless you're digital. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, while radiology, which has been digital for a couple of decades, is benefiting from the application of artificial intelligence in radiology, pathology is not yet. And it's because, you know, 99% of the pathology happening today is still happening on glass and you can't use artificial intelligence if you don't have digital images of, of, those, uh, of those tissues. So, um, so I'll come back to that maybe a little later uh, in, in the journey mm -hmm. uh, because the transition to artificial intelligence was critical for us. Yeah, I had, I had the same. I had the same thought, Josh. Just you know, the question about how how is that going to? You see, you see artificial intelligence, automation, scalability. Um, but I like how you described that. Is is it's got to be? I mean, it's it's a sensitive area, right? And it's super important to get it right. And uh, um, yeah, but it's yeah, sensitive that, to the people that are that are uh, driving it too, because you can imagine that question strikes fear into mm -hmm. many pathologists so in the moment that you know you 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 know you put yourself in the position of a of a pathologist um if if you've spent your uh you know 20 you know, 15 years of training uh and then the last 15 years of your career uh and you have you know 10 or 15 years left uh, how are you going to respond to somebody saying, actually, a machine can do this better? Uh, you can see that, that that it poses a threat. And one of the things that we've recognized is, um, and one of the challenges that we have is when you're, when you're trying to drive change, uh, the career horizon, this kind of change, the career horizon of the pathologist really seems to be correlated with their willingness to to change you know if you've got five years left in your career uh the last thing you want to do is completely change the way you've done things for the you know previous um you know 25 years um whereas if you're coming out of your training and you've got a 25 to 30 year career ahead of you and you see clearly that artificial intelligence is going to be part of your world you have a choice and your choice is I can either learn about this and learn how to apply it and, and lead it, or I can hide from it. And, and one of the mantras in my family is when change is inevitable, uh, you've got three choices. You can fight it and you'll probably perish because you know, you'll go out of business because the change is inevitable. You can act conservatively and, and sort of wait and see and wait and see, and you might survive. You know, if you, can, you, know, if you jump on the wave soon enough, you might have enough to, to take you to the end of your career. Or you can lead it and you have an opportunity to prosper. And this is, this is one of those things. I think the, 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 you know, digital transformation, automation, artificial intelligence, I think that is inevitable change that will ultimately drive better care, that will solve a lot of the problems that I was talking about at the beginning, the lack of access to care. Um, you know, if you can, if you can digitize uh, slides in Sub-Saharan Africa and provide the same in, uh, artificial intelligence algorithm to those slides, 
you can provide the same quality of care to those people that uh, that we um, provide to you know to our people you know in you know in in Salt Lake City uh, and um, and that. Uh, I think that is inevitable change. And so this is one of those moments where I, you know, I was at the right point in my career. I was young enough and could see it, could see that it was inevitable and chose, you know, I'd rather lead it than uh, watch somebody else um, and, and have my practice be threatened. But the reality is um, I, was the, I, was, I was about 15 years younger than everybody else in my practice. Um, and these, this kind of thinking was very antithetical to uh, my colleagues who I love and trust and, and trusted, but we were at just different stages in our careers. And, and, um, and that's one of the reasons I chose to leave uh, is because there was a gap between the way that I saw the world and the need to adapt and change versus the way they saw the world. And it's not that they were, uh, you know, just stodgy and not not able to see it. It's just in their careers and their career horizons, it wasn't likely to happen, and that was true. Um, mo most of them are retired now, and and um, yet I still have, you know, yet it's happening now in my in my career. So it's it really is interesting uh, that a person's age and career horizon does uh, does impact the way they deal with change mm. um, that doesn't that said i've got pathologists who are in the last five years of their career who somehow just maintain that that you know youthful curiosity and and it doesn't slow them down so i i don't want to to at all seem like i'm being age biased i just i can very much understand um if, if you only have five years left in your career, why you wouldn't want to just disrupt everything and change. It just depends, I guess, on your relationship to your career. You know, most, mm. pe most people are going to kind of want to just keep things steady. <laughs> it, that's a fascinating observation though. Um, and it seems like it isn't that you're only looking at um, your career though, right? You see something way beyond that. Yeah, and, oh, and yeah. maybe maybe these other individuals also are seeing i mean they're catching the vision of i mean you must be looking at five years 10 years 20 years i mean you're looking way ahead to see what it could what what that world could could look like and uh what caught my imagination is just the fact that i mean this is you, you, you there is a huge shortage of pathologists for the for the entire world right i mean i don't know how many probably runs into the tens of thousands or maybe maybe even a bigger number but I, I don't I don't know what the numbers are I just know that um, if you go outside of you know Western Europe yeah. and North America uh, there are relatively few uh, compared to the to, compared to the need yeah and it catches yeah you know, just it's easy to catch that imagination from an outsider just imagine with technology and with the right approach um, careful approach this can you know pathologists are always going to be necessary but with the technology it allows you to get to to the masses right and make mm -hmm. it a dent and a, and a difference um, I know that this there's still parts of the journey 
that you probably haven't got to yet and we'd love to hear that right up until the present day um and and we can we can get the theme of ups and downs right i mean you you, you move forward with a quarter of a million dollars and then you hit a, an issue and you know wonder whether some things these things just have to happen that way i mean it's kind of fascinating you said well if i'd known it was going to be like this i wouldn't have i probably possibly might Wouldn't not have, have gone had the down courage. It. Yeah, had but, the courage to do it. Yeah. But maybe that's the way it's meant to be, right? Um, I, I think so. I I, I mean, uh, I I think you either have to be crazy or or night or a little naive or a little bit of both to <laughs> to jump into something. Yeah. Uh, and if that underlying passion isn't there, you wouldn't keep going. I mean, if, you know, if you didn't have something that was just really deeply rooted driving you uh, yeah that, that that belief that faith in that i mean it, it 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 wouldn't you wouldn't keep doing it yeah well and i can but i get the I, i'm observing the fact that it, it's not just the vision the passion but your family and those around you have played a significant part in in, in believing and, and 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 encouraging and maybe even removing some of those obstacles for you but you know i think that's going to be important to any entrepreneur any anyone that's trying to make a difference you know surrounding people uh, surrounding yourself with people that really understand what you're trying to do because i think they maybe got a feeling that this is really possible somehow yeah i, I can i yeah i'd love yes, to just please. talk about that a little bit so um, if I'm honest with myself, uh, this business uh, would have failed maybe three or four times uh, over the course of the last seven years, were it not for my family, uh, who have believed in it enough to, uh, to step up and put their money in and their heart in Um there, you know, and, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a strong believer uh, in, and I, I feel like we've had, um, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time praying that this thing would go. And, and, and we've had multiple times in the last seven years when, you know, just as things were ready to, to go under, you know, we couldn't make payroll uh miraculous things have happened in terms of and it hasn't come in you know like a bag of money showing up it's come in people who have felt the same passion and for some reason have stepped forward and been willing to uh to help us uh you know we had um uh, a man named bruce crankshaw who uh was a prominent uh you know, held a prominent position in, in, a, in his community, uh, had stock options in, in his, uh, the company he was working. Uh, and he, um, at a critical moment, uh, when I was going through difficult times personally in my family, et cetera, he was willing to, um, uh, I think at the prompting of, of my brother, who said, hey, this is, might be a good opportunity. He was willing to step away from all of that and came in and, and, and literally saved the company because I, it, was a, it was a tough time for me. I couldn't provide the leadership to a, you know, what, what was now a team of maybe 10 people. 
uh, and and he he came in, stepped you know, to, made a huge sacrifice, stepped in, and 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 saved things. That kind of thing happened um, multiple times, and we don't have the time to go into all those different moments. But for me to you know, I, I, I just feel lucky and, and blessed, I should say, um, to, to still be going seven years into this. Um, you know, at first it was just my own money and my own sheer grit. Now it's, uh, the, uh, support and, and, uh, and resources of, many it's just friends and family right now i have a college roommate who caught this vision and uh he he has a um an investment company and he uh stepped up and invested so you know right now uh, our investors are really friends and family and to be able to last seven years with just friends and family in a field like this uh, you know i feel very fortunate and, and, you know, going back to our Rocky, you know, it's pretty unlikely uh, in, in, in a field like this with the obstacles and resistance to change and the you know, sheer massiveness of what we're trying to do to be alive seven years later um, with, with just the support of friends and family. And, and so I'm, I feel very blessed and very fortunate um, and, and now that adds to this sort of sense of stewardship and responsibility to, you know, to, to see it through, uh, to make sure that it does. And, you know, I think everyone recognizes how unlikely it is, and yet people's willingness to, to trust and, um, and, and put their, their trust in us as we, as we drive this is humbling and, and that sometimes uh, overwhelming. Well, yeah, I feel <laughs> feel very, uh, you know, uplifted and, and motivated by by how you know what you're sharing and how, and, and and the feeling that, that that's coming across. Uh, it's been a big, big journey, and um, I don't know if this makes sense at this point. But as you talk about you know where you're going, or you know up to the present day, you know how what you've put into place but i think that things of the part like people's good decisions uh, and, and people's innovations from the past um can often play into allowing other people to be successful right to in, in fact inspire and, and help them innovate as well and i suspect there are things that have happened in whether it's your friend or whether it's your family business that their inspiration of great methodologies or great approaches somehow filters into your vision. Um, They would have never (laughs) imagined it, um, but that's how innovation can happen. But but can you bring us up, comment on that or or, or bring us up to date with what fast track the last two or three years? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, That, 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 so, so we ran this technology. So, so remember I started off just wanting to practice digital, pathology and then we and then we ran into this problem that the technology doesn't enable it uh we we have to re we have to rethink the entire process uh and we did that and created uh this company lumea 
which focused on the technology that that enables this uh, enables digital practice. And there was a lot more to it than just scanning slides. We didn't invent slide scanning. That was remember we went out and spent a lot of money on a scanner that it wasn't practical. But uh, in the process of creating that workflow, we ended up partnering with a company in Romania that had invented some uh, really unique ways of preparing slides. And that's a whole nother story that would be a whole different program if we talked about that. Um, but uh, over the course of about five years, we created this digital workflow that we envisioned uh, at the beginning. And, uh, and it really is revolutionary. It, it reduces the cost of preparing those slides to about one sixth of, uh, of what it typically would be. And it reduces the amount of time that I have to spend uh, on making a diagnosis uh, to about one third uh, of what that was. So I can do it for less money. I can do it better because I've em employed artificial intelligence for, you know, to make things safer and, and better. Uh, and I can do it more, uh, more efficiently. And I can do it for any, anywhere in the world, which is, you know, it's, it really has been gratifying to, to watch this technology develop. The problem is, uh, as I alluded before, uh, it is very hard to change medical laboratories. It's a conservative culture and laboratories are built not to change. They're built to, to keep things stable, to reduce variation. And so implementing any small change into a, into a medical laboratory is incredibly difficult, let alone asking them to completely start over and transform their whole process. Uh, and we found that it was almost impossible for us to get people to change. We had very little adoption of this revolutionary technology. Everybody said, wow, that is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I wish we could adopt it, but oh, we just can't. <laughs> it's too hard. And, and you know, that's a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of resources to create something revolutionary just to see it fail. And so we started asking ourselves, how can we, how can we utilize this? And we recognized that it was more than just about being able to do things the way we do them today, but that we could now harness this ability to provide care anywhere uh, and to create a new business model. And the business model is one, you know, I think a simple way to describe it as sort of a hub and spoke model. Rather than trying to get many, every hospital to change uh, their laboratories, which is a really hard sale we already learned. What if we were to create a central hub that was a nonprofit that could, could actually produce the digital images for everyone and then just distribute them back? That enables them to not have to change their lab. They just shut their lab down and they get all the benefit that they always had. But now it's all just being done remotely, digitally, and their local pathologist can sign them out. That that model um, sparked something in my mind that was uh, familiar. I grew up in a family that that uh, sold that sells insurance, the Lever Group, Lever Group Enterprises. It's it's a large. My father started it. My father was a school teacher, 
that needed to be able to supplement his income and he started selling insurance in the 1950s in Cedar City, Utah. Uh, over the course of 30 or 40 years, he created a unique business model uh, that uh, enabled small independent insurance agencies in all the small towns in Southern Utah uh, to band together and in some ways share resources. They share the billing, they share the collections, they share the accounting, uh, they share a lot of the marketing budget, et cetera. And they could act uh, cooperatively like they were all, like they were a large insurance brokerage. Uh, and yet, and yet each one was able to maintain uh, uh, a, a large percentage of, of ownership. Uh, that business model that my father developed in the insurance industry, uh, it turns out applies beautifully in, these, in, in, in the practice of pathology. And a lot of the same market forces are at play, surprisingly. The insurance industry uh, is full of small agencies that in the 90s and early 2000s was starting to consolidate as, uh, as baby boomers and people that started their businesses like my father in the 1950s were getting close to retirement age. Larger uh, insurance brokerages were gobbling them up and consolidating. And um, the same thing is happening right now in medicine where large hospital systems are gobbling up medical practices all, all around. And people that build those practices are, are fairly entrepreneurial. And just like those insurance agencies, agents that would like to be able to perpetuate their independent agencies uh, to their children or to whoever, and yet uh, would still like to be able to, to have a cash out at the end of their careers. Um, the same thing is true for pathologists who are you know, in generally an aging group of individuals um, uh, and, and they, they want the same things. And so what we realized is we could apply this Levitt Group insurance model to uh, build a network of digital pathology practices where we share these resources, we share the accounting, we share the billing, we share the marketing, and we share the digitization costs. And we distribute to all of them. And so, uh, I decided I can actually do more to drive digital transformation, leaving the technology company, still own the technology company, and still you know, want to see that transform uh, you know, the way pathology happens. But I realized I can do more to drive that vision outside the company, actually practicing digital pathology and helping others to learn how to practice in this new business model than I can just staying in the technology company and trying to drive sales, trying to push sales. In essence, we wanted to create a disruptive force. Rather than waiting, rather than uh, waiting for pathologists to say, it's time to adopt this. They were all saying, everyone's saying, hey, this is the future and, and it'll be great when this happens. Uh, <laughs> we, said, we decided we're gonna be a little more aggressive. We're gonna go out and we're gonna capture the work. And it goes back to that uh, family mantra, which is um, you can either lead the change uh, or, and, and prosper, or you can fight it and, and perish. Uh, 
the, the way to drive change and people that are change averse is to go out and start capturing their business. And then they have a choice. They can either adopt the technology that enables that uh, or they can watch their business dwindle. So the pathologists who are willing to drive change are joining this network. And uh, so we, we've had three uh, intermountain pathologists, the ones that, you know, in, in this former uh, uh, hospital system where I worked, that stepped away from their day jobs to join this. We have uh, multiple pathologists, one in New York, one in uh, Michigan, one in Arkansas, who have all stepped away from their jobs to create these practices and be part of this path, path net, uh, this network of digital pathology groups. And, uh, and again, my family stepped up. Uh, now, it's understandable that they would understand this and believe in it because they've run this business for for uh, in the insurance realm for 60 years now. And, and, and so what we did is instead of hiring completely new people, uh, we have a very lean team of, of, of three people uh, that understand the lab medicine business, but then we're tapping into the marketing team and the accounting team and utilizing the same accounting infrastructure of this insurance uh, company, this family insurance company, and they're co-owners uh, in this in this uh, endeavor, and so uh, they're incented to um, uh, to support it as well. And so we've tied together these very different industries, insurance and and uh, medical practice, to create um, uh, this this pathnet, which is trying to drive the practice of digital pathology. So Lumea. The first company we created is the technology that enables digital practice. Now we're creating PathNet, which is uh, is helping pathologists to adopt and uh, and 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 transition their practices to a digital practice. And uh, and so that again, um, I I could never have dreamed up that business model. That that business model evolved. It started off in my family's basement before I was born with my father. Um, my brothers, Mike and Dane and Eric and, uh, and, and Mark have all um, helped develop and, and evolve these business models over the course of 60 years. And, um, and now I'm coming in and, and uh, doing something a little bit audacious, which is to say, hey, let's let's apply this now in the growth of a uh, network of, of digital pathologists. Um, it's, it, you know, again, I have to say, I'm so grateful that my family's willing to see that and believe in that vision because, you know, if you were to tell me before I saw it, you know, uh, if you were to just say to me, hey, why don't you just, apply your family's business model to medical practice, I would have said, that's crazy. You know, there's a reason I ch chose not to go into my family's business. <laughs> you know, it's a different business. Those are different, it's a different world. I don't, I don't think those worlds really belong together. And now that I've, uh, you know, now that I see it, 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 it's, I truly believe that this is going to transform uh, the practice of pathology and this practice model that we're pioneering, um, I think others will adopt it. Uh, and I, th I think the future of pathology is not going to be to have every hospital having a small lab. It's going to be 
this hub and spoke, you know, digitization, central digitization centers that then provide those services to many, many different hospitals. And I think that that, that will, um, you know, I think, I think what we've started here is gonna be the, the beginning of a new practice model. And, and so um, uh, I, I hope that's the case. Uh, we'll, let's, let's talk again in a few years. <laughs> Would you, would you, so that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, in this, this shift. And I think that it's, it, what's so interesting is like, you know, it's like, there are individuals out there that, that see the future and see the change that you're, that, and, and are inspired by it. And, and, and this shift of your business model, I, I think, you know, allows for those people who, who I think want to venture into the future with you. And, and that's, I think that's really cool. And would you say that when it came to, the, just to bring it back to Rocky, but uh, <laughs> when you, when you made that connection of that, the, the merging of those two business models, is that kind of like you, you like that, the feeling that you had in that moment, was that just like, I see the path to that future, right? Like it was, it, was it that clear to you? Is that how it felt or? Uh, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to Rocky too, and this uh, this was <laughs> okay. Good. We'll see we'll see we'll see how this goes because uh, this is all uh, this is all on the fly. But you know, in the first Rocky, remember he he got beat. Uh, he he showed that he showed the world that he could compete with Apollo yeah. Creed, but you know he ended up getting beat. Um, and and in some ways, Lumea, uh, which is the technology company, was uh was just that um we started this amazing company it is clearly revolutionary uh it's way ahead of what uh large companies like Philips and google have done we are way ahead of 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 what those larger companies have done and yet we're not gaining traction and and so in some ways i feel like uh, after five years it's it's like getting uh, punched out by apollo in the first fight uh, we've, pro we've proven ourselves. We've proven that we've got what it takes, uh, but we didn't quite get there. Uh, PathNet feels like we're getting ready for the next fight. You know, yeah. where and you know, Rocky wins that fight. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, you know, we've it, it now. It's not just a you know two or three scrappy guys going at it. We've we've got seven years. Uh, of collect and and now we're 30 people uh, lots of software developers who are experienced in this we have a new chief medical officer that replaced me that's one of the uh, you know that ran one of the largest um, and most well-respected commercial labs in the country we have a ceo who 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 is john worthlin who is uh, just absolutely fabulous uh and and uh you know we uh, you know, just a, just a fabulous team now at Lumea that is, you know, we still have Mark Evans who is running the research and development and some very exciting projects that are happening there. And Dr. Soreen Mushat, who is, again, that's the, that's a whole separate program about this Romanian, this absolutely genius Romanian researcher uh, whose technology is merged with ours and completely transformed, you know, it, it's transformative and again, that's a whole other story. Lumea is set to succeed uh, if we can drive the change. Now with PathNet, we have um, uh, 
now we're ready. You know, we, we've, it, it, it's like those training montages that Spencer and I were talking about when we were, we were excited and, and, you know, you know, punching everything, you know, punching, you know, the, the, uh, the laundry bags in the, in the laundry room at, in Leeds, England. Uh, that's kind of how I feel now uh, with my family coming in behind me uh, with PathNet. And we have these pathologists that are all leaving their, their day jobs to start this network. It sort of feels like, you know, we're going into this second fight uh, ready to succeed. And, and what does success mean? Well, success means uh, for PathNet that we, um, that, that if I can help make these pathologists successful, we'll be successful. That's what the business model is. We align our interests, we work together and, and they go out and they sell this digital product and we support them. And, and if they are successful, we'll be successful. And if PathNet is successful, that we will successfully disrupt the market and achieve transformation for Lumea. Success for uh, PathNet is actually gonna mean on the Lumea side, when I put on my Lumea hat, it's gonna mean creating competitors for PathNet, people that are replicating this model, people that are taking the model that they see us do in PathNet and trying to compete with us. We're going to go out there and do the best we can to, to achieve first mover advantage. But uh, my hope is that others see it, they replicate it, and they come out and try to compete with us. That's how you drive a revolution. That's how you drive uh, transformation. And so, um, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, in a couple of years, we can have this conversation and look back and say, wow, it, that, that's what it was. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm also... Uh, now experienced enough and have gone through enough that I recognize that we're just really fortunate to have be alive and surviving as a company at this point. And were it not for, you know, <laughs> the blessings that have come from family and friends and people who have stepped in right at the right time, we wouldn't be here. And I expect that we're going to need more of that to be able to, um, to succeed and, and, um, and so I don't want to uh, take too much credit for this because the reality is um, I, I would have failed a long time ago, many times, uh, were it not for these other uh, people that have come in and, and helped uh, us right at the right moment and in the right ways. And so we're, we're going to count on that and hope for that in the future. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll see this thing go. Yeah. I think uh, we definitely want to follow up with you, you know, in a couple of years and, 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 and continue to hear about the story. I, I think maybe I, I have one, maybe one last question, Spencer, uh, you may have one as well, but so what, what is the biggest challenge that you, that you, that you see in the future? Like, I, 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 like, is there one thing that you're probably really looking at is like, well, this is something that we're going to have to figure out. Um. <laughs> I, I, I got to think on a high level because when you ask that question, I can think of a million really small problems that your sure. listeners don't want to hear about. <laughs> but um, well, I think the biggest the biggest challenge is is um, is getting people to to change. Um, you know, we're we're uh, if we're going to transform this field, it's going to require people to be willing to uh, to disrupt the way they do things today 
uh, to think, uh, to recognize that it's going to be worth the pain to learn how to do things differently. Um, hopefully, PathNet will show people that it's worth it. Um, but you know, our biggest um, our biggest challenge is just people's aversion to change. And, and so we're going to try to push that by creating a, um, a need for people to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a path and that's role is, yeah. uh, but, um, and, and then I guess if we're successful at that, um, then Lumea has a lot of work to be able to learn how to support that, um, it's a problem I hope that we have. I hope that if PathNet's successful, then Lumea has a huge challenge to now try to support this revolutionary, um, you know, this wave of people jumping onto the platform. You know, we, we, we're really good at research and development and, and creating technologies. I hope we can be as good at supporting them. The reality is uh, I think Lumea is gonna have to find uh, a, a, you know, some strategic partners. I think we're going to have to partner with, um, you know, big healthcare institutions. I think we're going to have to partner with big technology companies. And I think those technology, those, everyone's interested in that. And I hope that, you know, I think, I think the challenge that Lumea is going to have now is going to be to uh, find those partners who can uh, help us to be able to scale uh, this, this revolution uh, because we're not, position from a financial position to be able to uh, to support what I think PathNet is is about to do. So that's, you know, th- those are the challenges that we, you know, those are good challenges though. Um, you know, I, I uh, those are different challenges than what we had five years ago where we needed to, you know, create the technology and then try to sell it to people. Now, now we're worried about um, on the Lumea side, can we support it and, and, and how do we get the resources to be able to do that? Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> well, hey, thank, thank, thanks so much for the chance. Oh no. Yeah. Seriously. Um, we loved listening and feeling the things you must've gone through over this, this journey. Uh, we love the vision uh, and where you're headed. I think what I'm most optimistic about is, is the fact that you, you know, you, you've understood uh, many times over the the pattern of adaptability right and and testing and learning and, and pivoting and 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 accepting and needing help along the way and i think that's what you you know the journey will continue yeah uh, you'll continue to apply those things uh, another time yeah i've got about 50 other questions i'd love I'd, I'd, I'd continue to want to ask right um uh, it's really is fascinating, but we, we appreciate it. We usually ask for an unexpected fact at the end, but I think we may have covered that with Rocky and in England and Leeds. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you that, can was throw- a fun, that was a fun little uh, analogy that somehow popped up there. So uh, well done. Yeah. Who, who would have known, eh, back then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, no, wonderful. Is, is there anything else, Josh? I think we usually ask if there's Just- people want to, get in contact with you or uh, learn more about what you're doing or be a part of even the net, the network, the path network. Yeah. So uh, uh, Lumea.net, uh, L-U-M-E-A 
is lumea.net and that's how you learn about the technology and and uh then if uh if you're interested in this practice model uh go to pathnet pathnetlab.com p-a-t-h-n-e-t-l-a-b.com that's perfect fantastic all right so, thanks, thanks again yeah great great talking to you Thanks for hanging out with us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Swell Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast, sign up to our newsletter at theswellpod.com, and get in on the conversation through all major socials at The Swell Pod. We'll see you next time.